This morning we are continuing our series, Better Together, with a look at a worship-centered community. Before we head into service, let's take a look again at the passage we've been studying in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. We can actually turn the lights back up, guys, if you'd like. Verse 42 starts, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as we're gathered here in this place, as we're scattered, as we're gathered online as well, this morning we need to remember that we are here to worship together as a community. That is our goal, is to come worship the Lord together, to learn from his word and learn how we can worship through our lives. We're not only getting to worship this morning through song, but also through fellowship and teaching. And not only that, we're fortunate this morning, we also get to worship through the breaking of bread and prayer. So this morning as we worship, let us look to Jesus and be reminded of his goodness and look to our God and creator and his grace for us. As we begin our service, we're going to read a passage out of Colossians 1 that encourages us to see Christ for who he is and see God as the creator of all things, that he is in all things and why we should worship him. So we're going to read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And I encourage you to respond as we're reading this in praise to God and tell him thank you as we read this. this uh, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we enter this place with thanksgiving in our hearts. We want to say thank you for being before all things, for being in all things, over all things, that you are a God who looks down on us and loves us. We thank you for creating your son, Jesus, who came to set us free, that not only you are a God who can create, but you also are near to the brokenhearted, and that you gave us a way of salvation through Jesus. So God, as we worship you this morning, we ask that you would do a, a great work in our hearts and that we would respond to you, that we would give you the glory and honor that you're due. So this morning, let us give thanks and worship together. Just please set my heart 
This morning, we're going to continue as we uh, look at worship. We're going to look at the history of worship, what it is that the early church did to be a worship-centered community. So in the book, A Brief History of Christian Worship, author James White breaks down the worship of the early church. He has a lot of different chapters about different sections of the church and how we came to be where we are now, but we're looking at the early church, the people who said they followed the way. So he broke it down into a couple sections of what they would have done. The first is daily public prayer. There's a book called the Didache, which uh, means teaching, and it's the short name of a Christian manual compiled before 300 A.D. Now the Didache instructs Christians to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. This suggests that a regular daily cycle of hours for prayer, either public or private, was in operation in some areas. Probably morning, noon, and evening, in addition to prayer during the night. And the contents of these prayers seemed to focus around thankful praise of God and supplication for further benefits. So daily public prayer, also daily private prayer, and it's pretty cool how this lines up with what Chris has been challenging us to do as a community, to pray in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. In fact, he's been having us pray the Lord's Prayer. And he's had us pray the Lord's Prayer on Thursdays at noon as well. So we're already reflecting some of that in our daily life as a church. But it also helps put a verse like Philippians 4, 6 through 7 in greater perspective. These people were praying morning, afternoon, evening, even sometimes during the night. So this verse says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if you're in constant prayer throughout the day, morning, afternoon, evening, and you're constantly lifting up the name of Jesus, it's going to cause those things that you're anxious about to be a little bit subdued, right? Because you're constantly throughout the day giving them to God, telling God, you are in control, I worship you because you are God. So when it says, don't be anxious about anything, our natural response as humans is, yeah, right. But if you're giving that to God throughout the day, it does cause to give you peace. I think a lot of us have experienced that in our lives. It it guards our hearts and our minds. 
So daily public prayer, daily private prayer is the first thing. Number two is the Eucharist. Now the Eucharist is also called communion. And in some cases in the the early church, it was actually a meal. It wasn't just what we're going to do this morning through communion, but a full meal together. The author says the Eucharist not only binds them together, but also excludes them from compromise with evil. The very name Eucharist suggests the giving of thanks. So the Eucharist causes them to come together to set themselves apart, to say that we are following Jesus, we're remembering what he did on the cross, how he rose from the grave, and we are going to live like that. It's a reminder of who they seek to follow and who they desire to commune with. And the third thing is Christian time. They spent time together. The weekly cycle, which seems to focus on Sunday, occurred at early dawn on the first day of the week, and this day became the climax of the Christian week. So it's a lot like we do as a church today, right? We gather on Sunday to worship, to hear about the word, to encourage one another. They gathered much like we do. 1 Corinthians 14.26 says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together like we are now, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So this Christian time when they came together was to build up the community, to be better together. We also know that preaching and music most likely occurred in each other's homes. So it's pretty cool that we're gathered here in this place, but we're also scattered in our homes right now. We are a community here and at home, and we're worshiping and hearing from the Word together. The pattern of this time also would have reflected some of the tabernacle worship in many ways, much like we frame in our singing and our worship on Sunday mornings. And I want you to know that you can find a more in-depth look at what we're about to talk about um, on our online notes There's a link on there that gives you a full article and kind of breaks down what we're about to say. But if you look at the tabernacle, there's different sections of the tabernacle that you actually walk through in worship. And we do the same on Sunday morning. So the first is thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Notice there's gates there. By remembering what he has done for us, to consciously focus on this. Now, we've already done that this morning. Hopefully, you have thankful hearts. We had what is called a call to worship. I seek you only. I'm here to worship you. God, I want to desire you. That's why I'm here. So this is the time where we're entering the gates. Secondly is praise. Enter his courts with praise. From Thanksgiving, we move on to who he is. Not just saying, thank you for what you've given to me, but saying, God, I praise you because you are beautiful. You are creator. You are Lord. You are amazing. Now, normally, there would also be a time of sacrifice. If you look here, offer your sacrifice of praise in the tabernacle. But when Jesus came, he did away with the need for sacrifice because he became the sacrificial lamb for us. So now instead of sacrificing an animal, we're sacrificing our praise and at the same time giving praise for the triumph of the cross because we no longer need to do this because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So we're giving thanks and then we're praising God for what he's done, for who he is and for the cross. And then third, we move into worship. We're into the holy place now. And worship is not just singing songs. It's not what we just did as a team together Worship isn't about singing louder than the person next to you or singing softer and more intently than the other person. It is a lifestyle. It is a condition of the heart which informs our conduct. It's it's a lifestyle. It's who we are. Who we are reflects who we worship. And then fourth is adoration. Now something really cool about the tabernacle is this place called the Holy of Holies. In history, Once a year, the great high priest would enter in there. He had to be without blemish, otherwise he would be struck dead by the presence of God. So he would go through a veil. He would uh, pray on behalf of the people. So what's amazing, though, is when Jesus died and cried, it is finished on the cross, we're told that the veil was torn in two. He finished paying for our sins, giving us direct access to God through his blood. That veil was torn from the top to bottom. No longer was it the case that the high priest alone could enter in once a year. 
to offer atonement for sin. Jesus and his perfect offering of his own blood has done away with covering sins. Now he has taken and removed our sins once and for all. So thanksgiving, praise, worship, and adoration are the four layers that we go through. So this morning, as we head from thankfulness, from this call of worship into praise, let us remember the words from Hebrews 10. Where it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. Did you catch that? He just recapped tabernacle worship. And he just said, now that we don't have to do that because of Jesus, that is his body that tore through that curtain. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So this morning, we need to come together with these thankful hearts, with a a heart of praise, to, to give praise to God for that sacrifice, for the fact that there is no longer a barrier, that we are in his presence together as a community, and that we get to worship him this morning. So I encourage you to sing with us as we sing this song, Praise the King. There's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. Jesus is alive. Let's stand to our feet and sing this out together this morning. There's a reason why we are not overtaken. There's a reason why we sing on through the night. There's a reason why our hope Jesus is alive. Let's sing this in faith to respond to him this morning with praise. Praise the King. He is risen. Praise the King. He's alive. Praise the King. Death's Where is your sting? The grave could not. 
God, we give you praise. We thank you. Amen. Now, a question that may be on some of your minds this morning is, what is worship? If we're talking about a worship-centered community, what is worship? What is it all about? Well, there's a guy who passed away in the last few years who I've read a lot of his books and studied at Spring Arbor University. His name is Robert Weber. He actually founded the Institute for Worship Studies uh, and was the author of many books, including Renew Your Worship, which we're going to be quoting from here in a minute. So he talks about what is worship. He defines it. He puts it into five different segments. The first of which is worship extols the character of God. Worship extols the character of God. See, he says God loves to be worshipped. God loves to hear us say we worship and adore you. We bless you for you and you alone are God. There is no one besides you. God loves to hear that from us. He loves to hear what we just sang. That's what we do in worship. We worship and adore simply because of who God is. He's worthy of worship. Luke 4, 8 says, Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Which is actually an echo of an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy that says, Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. So first and foremost, worship extols the character of God. What's easy with humanity is that we can worship a created thing. We can exalt something else to worship status. One example that's really easy, technology, media, social media. We elevate that. We give it priority. We give it time. And we end up worshiping that. I talked a little bit about this on Worship Wednesday. Instead of worshiping the creator, we can get caught worshiping the created thing. We extol the created thing instead of God. So worship extols the character of God. Secondly, worship remembers Jesus Christ. Worship remembers the living, the dying, the rising of Christ. Through that action, it promotes the overthrow of the powers of evil. If you will look closely at your worship, you will see that this theme runs through all of our public worship. It's in the hymns, the prayers, the scripture readings, the sermon, the creed, and the prayers of thanksgiving over bread and wine, the communion that we take. And we actually just sang a song where we can reflect that. It, it talked about the life, death, and resurrection. We, we give praise to the king because we're able to worship because of these things. Those who followed the early church the way even referred to their weekly gatherings as a little Easter after a time. Because every week they knew that that was important, that they should celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to remember what Jesus did. If our worship does not revolve around giving thanks to God for sending his son in some way, and yet instead revolves more around ourselves and our feelings, then we are missing the mark. If we're coming in to feel good, to have it wash over us and not responding to God and saying, thank you for sending your son. I give praise to Jesus for the cross, for resurrection. Then we're missing what worship is really about. Third, worship is an experience of the Holy Spirit. So we've already said we adore and magnify the Father. We remember the work of the Son, but we also experience the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here amongst us, and we are experiencing him together. The Holy Spirit enables us to remember the work of the Son. And as we are opening, open to the enabling work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings us into communion with the Father and the Son. So, putting those hand in hand, Jesus says, there is one coming. After I leave this earth, there is one coming better than I. The Counselor, the Spirit, the Advisor is what he refers to it as. So when we think of the Spirit, we should automatically think of Jesus and his sacrifice, which gives us the Holy Spirit. We're also told in John 4, 23 and 24, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. 
For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So worship brings us into communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are a better community together when we're worshiping. Number four, worship is a sign of the future. In worship, we enter into the future. We experience the future. We stand in the future with the angels and archangels, with the cherubim and seraphim, and with the whole company of saints and God's redeemed creation to cry and shout aloud, Holy, 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 the whole earth is full of your glory. We experience, we get a glimpse of what heaven will be like when we worship. As we read in Revelation 4.8, it says, Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It will never cease our worship. Verse 9 and 10 continue. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say this, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So it is a glimpse of what is to come when we worship, which should excite us, right? It should be an exciting, revealing thing of what it will be. Number five, this is something that's been at the core of my heart in worship as the creative arts pastor, as someone who's led worship for a lot of time. I'm getting old now. I can't compute anymore. But a long time since high school. And God has really started in the last 10 years to really settle this into my heart of what worship is. Worship is my response to God. Let's explain that a little bit. At the core of authentic worship is our ability to let our hearts explode in response to God. For some people, that inward explosion manifests itself in outward expression, lifting our hands that others can see, clapping, different outward expressions. For some, the inner explosion is almost totally contained deep inside. Something that's calming, that's reflecting. Now, this is important. Some worshipers need to hear that it's okay if they are not very expressive by nature. And others need to hear the message, it's okay if they are very expressive by nature. I think that's something that we struggle with as Christians because as humans, we compare. So when we're in a worship setting and we see someone else in the room who's just full-on worshiping with their hands in the air, they're crying and just like totally emotionally engaged, and we're standing there like, why can't I be like that? Well, God created us each uniquely. None of us here in this room, besides the two of you, because you look almost exactly alike, are that much alike. They're five years apart, believe it or not. I thought they were twins. But anyways, awkward. Uh, we're all created differently. We all have different approaches to worship. Your response to worship is different than my response to God and worship. So don't get caught up in thinking your worship is not good enough if it doesn't look like the person next to you. God created you to worship in the way that you are called to worship. What we need to focus on if, is if we're not responding to the words we sing, the words we, we pray, the scripture we hear, we aren't worshiping. If we're not responding, we're just listening, we're letting it fill us, we're not worshiping, we're consuming. We're coming in to feel good. We're allowing that just to fill us and not doing anything with it. Worship is the overflow, the response of those things. It's like if Angela, was my wife, was to say, I love you, and I was to stand here and be like, not even awesome, just to stand here and be quiet. It, it's super weird, right? See, there's, there's a community, there's a relationship. Angela has an expectancy that when she says, I love you, that I would say, I love you. And that I would respond and say, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. 
there's so many things about you that I can't get over. And, it, and see, she likes it, right? And that's the same with God, though. He, he looks at us and he says, I have given you breath. I have given you life. I have showered you with blessings. I love you. And we can say, sweet. I take it. Or we can respond to that in worship and give him praise and say, you're beautiful. I want to adore you. I, I want to thank you. I want to give you praise. But I want you to notice something about these defining characteristics None of them say worship is about how you feel. I think too often we equate worship with feeling. No matter how we feel in the moment, God is still worthy of praise. So you can come in with a feeling of, I don't want to be here. That doesn't mean God's not worthy of praise. If we get the benefit of his blessing during worship, so be it. And some of us have experienced that when we're worshiping. That's the amazing thing about God. We can worship and he pours into us and we feel joy, we feel happiness, we feel his presence. But that is not the end game of worship. Our expectation of worship should not be self-fulfillment, but rather that sacrifice of praise that we are pouring out unto the Lord. So let's respond to the words we're going to sing. And after singing the words of the song, we're going to pray with Nick. We're going to have an opportunity to worship through prayer. Let's pour out our affection at the feet of Jesus, sing praise unto God, and lift up our worship to the Holy Spirit. I just encourage you to maybe be quiet and just listen to these words and respond to God. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your Sorry, Lord, for the sin. 
continue on in this heart of worship. As we respond in worship to who our God is, we're actually going to do something a little bit different than we normally do. We're going to pray through a psalm together this morning. If you have your Bibles, you want to flip to Psalm 145. It's going to be on the screen as well. And this is something that as our pastor, as Chris shared with us several weeks ago when he talked about prayer, that idea of in the morning praying a psalm These are are easy prayers, easy songs that are written for us to lift up to God. And so we're actually going to read through, pray through this psalm together. And it it says, if you notice in a lot of your Bibles, it might say right beneath Psalm 145, a psalm of praise. This is a song specifically for praise, for worship. Because our prayer is worship. As John mentioned earlier, it's the attitude of our hearts. Anything and everything can be worship if it's lifted up as a response to who God is. Even Jesus, as he prayed the Lord's Prayer, that first line, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, Father, you are holy. He worships who the Father is. He adores God. Worship is the first response. It's, it's what we do first when we lift our praises, our prayers up to God. So as we pray through this together, I invite you to either read along or just close your eyes and listen. Let this be your prayer to God today. Father, we exalt you, our God, the King. We praise your name forever and ever. Every day we praise you. We extol your name forever and ever. Great are you, Lord, and most worthy of praise. Your greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another, will tell of your mighty acts. We speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and meditate on your wonderful works. We tell of the power of your awesome works. We proclaim your great deeds. We celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Lord, you are gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger and rich in love. Lord, you are good to all. You have compassion on all you have made. All you have made will praise you, Lord. Your saints extol you. We tell of the glory of your kingdom. We speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. Lord, you are faithful to all your promises and loving toward all you have made. You uphold all those who fall and lift up those who are bowed down. All our eyes look to you. You give us food at the proper time. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. Lord, you are righteous in all your ways and loving toward all you have made. You are near to all who call on you, to all who call on you in truth. You fulfill the desires of those who fear you. You hear our cry and you save us. You have saved us. Lord, you watch over all who love you. 
The wicked you will destroy. Our mouths will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise your holy name forever and ever. Lord, that is our prayer, our worship of you this day. Lord, the truth that's in what was just spoken, what was written so long ago, it's always been true of you. It always will be true of you. Lord, you are worthy of our worship. Lord, we ask that our, our attitudes, our thoughts, our, our hearts would be set on you. Lord, that in every moment, every thought, every word, every action, Lord, everything that we do, that we would see that as an act of worship, as living sacrifices meant to bring you praise. Father, we ask that you would walk with us, that you would guide us, that you would help us to live in the ways of righteousness. Lord, by your spirit, that we would bring you the glory through the ways that we're living. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We need you. You are worthy of all the affection, all the attention, all the praise and glory that we can give, and so much more. Lord, thank you that you care about our needs, that you love us, that you care about the little things and even the big things. Lord, you are in love with us, and we want to be in love with you. Lord, grow our love and affection for you. Lord, in this moment, we think of some of our needs as a church body. Today, we think of Joan Chapman as she is in Uganda. Thank you for giving her safe travels there. Lord, we ask that you would bless her time of ministry while she's there, that she would grow deeper in her relationship with you and with the people there in Uganda. Lord, that they would see their spiritual needs met, that they would grow in their relationships with you and their relationships with each other, or that you would meet their needs. Lord, we think of CityLink in the work that they're doing in Battle Creek and in our surrounding communities, in reuniting families and adoption and foster care and, and bringing about a renewal. God, you are at work in the midst of all of that. Lord, thank you that you are a God who loves, that you are a, a heavenly father, an everlasting father who desires us. Lord, we ask for your healing touch upon this community, this church, this world from a virus, Lord, that you are in control of. You are more powerful than it is. And so, Lord, we ask for your hand of healing, that you would take it away. Lord, you are a wonderful, amazing, loving, caring God who is worthy of all of our worship. And so as we continue on today, Lord, let that be our attitudes. Let that be our response to you as we worship, as we grow together. God, it is in your wonderful and powerful and awesome name that we pray today. Amen. I've had really good personal times of worship, just me and God. But there's something about communal worship. There's, there's like something mysterious about it, about coming together and worshiping as a body of believers. Even in our homes, as we are scattered, you're still gathered with the body. You're gathered with your families. Even if there's just one of you at home, you're gathered with those of us here. You're gathered with the people online. As a musician, I find it amazing how God can use the arts and music to speak to a group as well. How when we're singing, lifting our voices up together, God moves and he does something. There's something amazing about that. I think he's already done that this morning through the words that we have sung, through the melodies we've sung, even through the art of the, the poetry that, that David writes. There's something that God does through music and art and through community. Elisa Sanford I'm not even sure she knew I was preaching this week, but she sent me this quote, and it really speaks to what music and art can do in a community format. It says, Art has the power to render sorrow beautiful, make loneliness a shared experience, and transform despair into hope. Music, like all art, gives pain and our most wrenching emotions voice, language, and form, so it can be recognized and shared. The magic of the high, lonesome sound is the magic of all art. The ability to both capture our pain and deliver us from it at the same time. 
When we hear someone else sing about the jagged edges of heartache or the unspeakable nature of grief, we immediately know we're not the only ones in pain. The transformative power of art is in the sharing. It's the sharing of art that whispers, you're not alone. And as I started to read that and process that, it was reminding me that when we lift our voices together as a body, as a community, in worship, as we sing, God is reminding us, you're not alone. His Spirit is speaking to us saying, you're not alone. After all, we know the verse Matthew 18, 20 that says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So as we're gathered, as we are gathered in our homes, God is with us. His Spirit is amongst us. We are experiencing Him together. And He's saying, you're not alone. There's power in a unified community worshiping the same God together because it, it's a community who's being made better because they're admitting there is someone greater than me than us. That is another thing we do in worship is inherently we are submitting to a higher power because we are worshiping something that we deem greater than ourselves. So as a group, we are saying together when we worship, God, you are in control. You are over all things. And it makes us better together because we're admitting we don't have control. We are not greater than God. We don't have authority. Have you ever noticed something, though, about the word communion, which we're about to head into? In, in the word communion is the word community, to commune. Commune actually means to share one's intimate thoughts or feelings with someone, especially on a spiritual level. It also means to feel in spiritual contact with. And the fact that we are able to take communion is an intimate act with God that we are having this conversation, these intimate thoughts, saying, God, we believe you are who you say you are, and we want to say thank you and remember what you did. The early church took communion as a community. Acts 2, 46 and 47 again says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. As a result of communion, they praised we mentioned earlier that it's a pivotal part of the early church's worship. And we need to understand that we are fortunate that we get to do this this morning. Worship and communion and prayer and all these different forms of worship, we are fortunate. We are blessed that we get to do this, that we have the opportunity. Hebrews ten nineteen through 25, which again is a callback to tabernacle worship, says... Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And then it continues and says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, not giving up being a community, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We as a community get to enter into the holy place together to be in the presence of God. When Jesus died, that veil was torn in two. The Holy of Holies is now accessible to those who believe, which makes communion all the more special. When we look at communion, we are confessing that we believe Jesus is who he said he was, that his life, death, and resurrection are truth. We are communing with him and at the same time worshiping him for his sacrifice we're worshiping God for sending us his son for freedom. And we're worshiping the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to all of those who believe. So this morning, as we take communion together, whether it's at home or in this room, let us be a community who readily admits that we are gathered and scattered to worship him. And if you're at home, I encourage you to grab crackers and water, whatever you have on hand, to go ahead and join us. And uh, if you haven't gotten communion this morning, if you want to raise your hand, someone can bring that to you. If you haven't, has everybody gotten it? Sweet. 
So we need to admit that we are a community who desires to worship by living out Romans 12.1 that says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It is a lifestyle. It is an overflow of the heart. So let's spend time in this intimate place of adoration, much like the early church would have, with this veil torn, nothing separating us from God, and give thanks together as one voice. I'm going to give you a little bit of instruction on this. Chris showed me the trick. Make sure your tab is facing out. That way you don't spray juice on your shirt. Okay? So, let's read out of Scripture where it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. So go ahead and get the bread out of there. Grab your crackers at home or your bread, whatever you have. Cinnamon Toast Crunch works too. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And before we take this, I want to encourage you to to give God praise. Just for the next 10 seconds, we'll be quiet. And just give God praise for his body. Take this together as a community. Patches continues and it says, In the same way after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You are worshiping. You are remembering what Jesus did by taking this. So again, let's spend the next 10 seconds giving praise to God for the blood that has washed us clean. Let us take the juice together. And as we close this morning, we're going to close with another song. A song of adoration that allows us to remember that we are in the Holy of Holies, that we get to tell Jesus that we love him. That the old life is gone, there's a new life, and we get to say I love you in his presence. So I just encourage you to sing this with us. Oh 
devotion, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus, our affection, our devotion poured Father, gracious God, Lord, as we sing these words of pouring out our affection and our devotion at your feet, God, I pray that that would come from the depth of who we are. God, that they wouldn't just be words from our lips, but God, it'd be commitment from our heart, from Lord, spirit connecting to spirit, depth to depth. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you. God, through song, through word, through scripture, through prayer. God, may we live a life of worship. God, laying down our life daily, devoted, as a response to what you've done in Jesus. So, Lord, we're so grateful that we get to participate in life with you. God, participate in eternity with you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that have been spoken in this place, the songs that have been sung, the prayers that have been prayed. And Father, we pray that you would continue to receive honor and glory. Lord, you're good. We pray this all in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen.